Welcome to Spoilers. I am your host, Stevie Putman, reporting from Elkhart, Indiana. Uh, today we'll be talking about the 2014 masterpiece written and directed by Wes Anderson, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, we have a very special guest with us today, which is my sister, Jen. Jen, you want to introduce yourself? Special. Yeah, I'm Jen. I'm Jen, Stevie's sister. <laughs> you excited? Also a uh, movie mastermind. A movie mastermind. Already. Alrighty. So uh, why is she so special? Because I'm pretty. Because she's pretty <laughs> and because she's blood, Josh. Okay. Speaking of, what is up, Josh? Speaking of blood, uh, <laughs> yeah, this movie has some blood in it. Uh, not many Wes Anderson movies do, so it's kind of interesting to see his take on some violence throughout the film, but we'll get there later. I'm recording from Goshen. Pass it off to Mikey. Hey, uh, I'm Mikey. I'm recording from Elkhart, and uh, I'm ready to get into this. Pappy? Yeah, this is Pappy, recording from Denver, Colorado. I'm really excited to have our first special needs guest on the podcast today. And then, um, I think that's you, Jen. Uh, that's not cool. <laughs> I've done like 60 podcasts with uh, our producer, Money Mikey Toller, but he never told me that he starred in a Wes Anderson movie before, so excited to break down <laughs> Zero slash Money Mike's performance today. For the inside joke at home, our producer Money Mike looks just like I'm brown. Looks just like Zero Mustafa. I'm brown. <laughs> it's a visual joke on a podcast, which is pretty fun. Even down, even down to his pencil thin mustache. Good radio. Mikey looks just like Zero. <laughs> this, is, this is good radio, guys. We'll post good a picture radio. on Twitter and Instagram. Alrighty, um, I guess we'll just kind of break it down piece by piece. Uh, when you guys want to jump in or. I was asked a question where you guys thought about certain things. Um, this movie starts off like a lot of late 70s, early 80s movies do, which is someone's going to read you or tell you about the movie you're about to see. The character's name is just author, which is Tom Wilkinson. He's just reading uh, cue cards to a uh, video camera while his, look, I think it's his grandson, is pestering him. And it's That's my favorite part. That's your favorite part of the whole movie? When the little boy comes we in. We just started. That's your favorite like, part? Yes. I love it. <laughs> it's all downhill from there. <laughs> 30, 30 seconds into the podcast, 30 seconds into the movie, it. Jen peaked out. Is that it's anybody so else? I love it. Is that anybody else's favorite part? It is pretty funny. I laughed. Yeah, he's like so distracted. Now I'm distracted. I did not expect. Okay. Time to keep going. There's three different timelines present day, which is what the author starts in. Then it shoots down to 1968, which is now young author, which is Jude Law, and a now decrepit. Grand Budapest Hotel. It's outdated. Very orange. He's pretty. It's pretty much in the off season. Not a lot of people stay in there. It looks awful. And he spots Zero Mustafa, who is, I'm guessing. Well, they say it, the richest man in all of Zubrovka, super wealthy. And well, the the concierge is telling him all of this. Concierge is telling him all of this, which is Monsieur Jean, Jason, yeah. Jason Schwartz, Monsieur Jean. Yeah. <laughs> and they meet in the Arabian Baths. And he asks him to dinner, and that's where kind of like the theme of the whole movie starts, which is uh, Jude Law's character, author, author asks Zero how he acquired the Grand Budapest Hotel. And there, do you guys have anything to add about the preface before we get into chapter one? I think you missed yeah. a layer, because it actually starts with a storybook at a statue right. in present day, and then that jumps to the author's narration, and then it's the retelling of the story at dinner. 
So it's actually like four levels deep inception. Super inception. Yeah. My bad. For yeah, the girl that. is reading the book. Right, she goes to statue. And then it jumps to the author in the eighties. Oh 80s. my bad. The author with his grandson. Right. Then down to the sixties. And then Jude's Law or Jude's, Jude's Law. Jude's yeah. Law. Jude's Law. Saturday nights on ABC. <laughs> <laughs> and then after he asks that question of how he acquired it, he says he didn't. And then we get into chapter one. Oh, he says, "How did he come to purchase it?" Right. He didn't. Okay, I'll stop trying to quote it. I'm getting bumped. Well, let's, saying I'm let's wrong. not breeze. <laughs> let's not breeze past the Inception part of this movie. Uh, do you guys think that stat that that is basically saying the further back in time you go, the more sensational and the less real the movie is supposed to kind of be? Definitely. Yeah, and I, I I think that's represented visually as well with like the colors that they use and. As you go back in time, the actual aspect ratio of the movie changes. So it starts in a super present, present day theme, like widescreen. And then as you go back in time, the actual aspect ratio gets more and more boxy to represent, uh, the filmmaking of the time. So the whole frame itself shifts. And like, I think the colors and just like the story itself just kind of gets more and more bananas the farther back you go. And it's weird that they can change the aspect ratio without it drawing too much attention to the eye. It, you really don't notice that unless you're paying attention. I think that's kind of cool. Actually, Jennifer noticed that about three quarters of the way through the movie. I did. We were watching it together, and she goes, why the screen gets smaller? <laughs> and I did not have an answer for her at all. So I'm well, how many I'm... times has she already seen the movie? So there's three-fourths of the way through this time of seeing the movie. Well, no, already... I noticed it before. Okay, just asking this time. Yeah, I just verbalized it. How many times have you loud. seen this movie, though? Um... <laughs> Uh, I don't know, like 18, 20? 18, 20 times? Whoa. Quite a bit of times. I'm a big fan. Okay, getting into chapter one, (laughs) which is uh, M. Gustav, which is where we meet uh, Ray Fine's character. He's a concierge of the Grand Budapest Hotel, and he's pretty much commanding an army of lobby boys and chefs, and anybody just needs help with the hotel, he's commanding them. He runs the whole show. He runs the whole show, and he's also the biggest BSer in the world. He's super vain. Likes to fuck old women. Likes to do that. He's which so is... perfect for that character, though. Why? I, I just, I don't know. Because he's quick talking, because he's really, he can talk really fast, and he's charming. He seems like a dude who wants to bang gilfs. I mean, these were great gilfs. These were GGs. I mean, uh, Tilda Swinton uh, plays uh, Madame D., which they put a ton of makeup on her. And it kind of starts off with her saying she feels like something's wrong, she wants to stay. And M. Gustav, just, M. Zero Gustav, just sends her along on her way. That's where he bumps into Zero, having no idea how she got hired. What does he say, Jen, about taking a coin to the... I don't know, he talks so fast, it's, it's, always, it's always hard to keep up. To light a candle and say a prayer. Which was Madame D's yeah. last wish. Say a rosary, left. yeah, light a candle. Right. And give the rest to the cripple shoe shiner. <laughs> Yeah, and give the rest of the cripple shoeshine boy. And when he bumps into Zero, he, I guess he was kind of hired on a trial basis. And this is where Mizor Gustav decides to take Zero under his wing and show him how to do everything. Um, you can really get a, a cool look out of the Grand Budapest Hotel, which is a clear reversal of where we were in 1968. It's huge. It looks awesome. It's packed. The super wealthy are there. It's in season. And there's a lot of cool shots of just constant rolling cameras, not a lot of quick cuts. So how did they how did they do that shot of the Budapest? You're talking about the outside of it? Yeah, and they, they use that a couple a couple of times. They go to like the model. Yeah, they use the model where I guess a guy was going up the elevator with like the mountains in the background. That's a painting and a miniature model, as well as 
is the Grand Budapest Hotel, which I think is pretty cool. Also, the Grand Budapest Hotel was filmed inside a uh, giant department store in Germany, which is pretty neat to see how they flipped it. Um, as the Zero gets about a month into his uh, his job, you kind of learn more about M. Gustav, about how the guests only come for him, and how the women he always ends up with are rich, old, insecure, vain, superficial, blonde, and needy, which is exactly what M. Gustav is. Why are they blonde? Because they always were. And you kind of find out, <laughs> nice. it's just a lot, there's a lot of information in this movie, but you don't know who owns the Grand Budapest Hotel. Jeff Goldblum arrives, he's kind of the, um, I guess, the lawyer for the person who owns it. Finance right. guy. We meet Agatha, who is Zero's love. She has a birthmark of Mexico on her right cheek. And that's where um, chapter one ends, where we see that Madame D has died in the newspaper. In a small clipping below... Um, tanks at the border. There's about to be a big war. There's about to be a big war, which they clearly ignore. You guys have anything to add for chapter one? I think it's cool that they said all the newspaper clippings and like every article was written by Wes Anderson and are actual articles. Yeah. That's cool. Usually it's just like a bunch of nonsense that no one's going to read. Well, I mean, it is still nonsense, but I think Wes Anderson has so much fun with it, he just wanted to write it himself as well. What were we going to say, Pappy? No, I think that's a good point like that Jen had, because like the reason I like Wes Anderson so oh, much is... Oh, is that so? Uh, I take that back. But the reason I like Wes Anderson <laughs> so much is he has like this great attention to detail in his movies, and it feels like every every shot is like a painting, and then like every detail within that shot is like ocd meticulously like decided you know a lot of bright colors a lot of bright reds bright purple oh the bright purple uniforms I love bright purple that. uniforms just pop off the screen i do love that as well anybody else everyone wears red shoes all the time i was uh i'll agree with what pappy said like everything's like uh incredibly detailed all of his shots are like symmetrical i don't know when you're like when you're like looking at it like pappy said it does look like a painting but it's also like symmetrical on both sides like if Someone standing in the middle of the room. There's equal like weight on each side of the room. It's not just people either. It's it's every like landscape, every setup shot. Like that's what I was thinking would be the drinking game that could get you most messed up. Is every time there's a real obvious symmetrical shot, uh, take a drink because it's everywhere. You wouldn't even make it to chapter two. You'd be toast. <laughs> Good because chapter two is weak. <laughs> you didn't like chapter two. I'm I just like joking. Chapter two. Oh, okay. Chapter two is well, great. Let's talk Let's about chapter it. two. <laughs> Let's talk about chapter two, which is pronounced Madame C V D U T. Misery Gustav and Zero hop a train to where she lived, Lutz. Yeah, she lives in Lutz, which is also where the cemetery is in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Help me with this. They encounter the armies and tanks in a barley field while they're on the train going. Are these supposed to represent Nazis? A thousand percent, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, I the, the overtones can be more on the nose because like, they use like ZZ instead of SS. And like, right. And most of them have a German accent except Edward Norton's character. You mean Little Just Little like, Al- Little Albert? <laughs> Is that you? Little Albert. <laughs> well, every character speaks in like their own normal accent. No one, like, through no one had in to adapt. Eastern European That's countries. That's a really good point. And I thought Owen Wilson was doing a great <laughs> Eastern European accent. No. Monsieur Chuck. Like, Agatha's very Irish. Yep. Yeah. And uh, M. <laughs> Gustav is English. Edward Norton's, like... Yeah, very American, as is Zero. Yeah. Um, they arrive in Lutz at Madame D's giant palace, which looks... I-, I thought this place looked awesome. What did you guys think of this setting? 
Just like the old wood, the tall columns, the neat stairs. What do you guys think of this? It's like old architecture. It's awesome. I think it's just awesome how he finds all these places. I don't know if he's like building these sets. This was an actual old house in Germany. Yeah, the places that he films at are always like incredible to look at. Because of Madame D's death, they're having everybody gather around to see who's going to get what in the will, which is where we also see Jeff Goldblum's character, Deputy Kovacs, again. Which I thought was hysterical when he said there's over 625 amendments to this will. And it kind of just about pulls out this giant box and slams the papers down. This is where we also encounter Adrian Brody's character, Dimitri, who we have found is going to inherit a vast bulk of the estate. Madame D left M. Gustav a priceless painting known as Boy with Apple. How would you describe Boy with Apple, Stevie? If I had to describe it unartistically, it's a boy... Holding an apple. Holding an apple. On the cusp of manhood. Like, what, yeah. twisting the stem? Mm-hmm. He's twisting the stem on the cusp of manhood. It's really sensual. How much would you guys legitimately pay for that painting in your house? I don't know, Stevie, how much was it? I you bought me a boy with apple print. for Christmas. It is tastefully framed in my apartment. <laughs> I bought Jen uh, a print. It cost me $34. So that's the going price. Sounds about right. <laughs> I think you told me it was like 60 though. No, it was like 34 okay. bucks. I might have told you it was 60 to church it up just a little bit. Anyway, yeah, I paid like $60. everyone in the crowd freaks out because he's getting that priceless painting. Um, this is where we also see Willem Dafoe's character, Jopling. There are a ton of stars in this movie. Uh, we see Jopling, who's kind of like a private investigator slash hitman for the family. They get in a fist fight between Dimitri, Zero, Gustav, and Jopling. Which is awesome, by the way. The one hit drop, one hit drop. Yeah, that quick, quick fist fight. Um, after they get up, uh, Gustav tells everyone they're gonna leave, and on the way out, they steal a boy with apple. And on the way out of that, um, the nervous, um, what would you describe Serge as? He's, what is Serge? What is he, a Mustached man. Yeah, he's a, he's like he's a butler. The head butler, the head butler Serge, who's the most nervous character in this whole movie, puts an envelope in the wrapped painting. Zero and uh, M. Gustav go back to Grand Budapest Hotel on the way back. They decide they're going to not split the uh, whatever they sell it for, but they're going to divvy up amongst themselves. When they get to the Grand Budapest uh, the military police are waiting for him, which I think is probably the funniest part of the whole movie, where mm-hmm. they said he's wanted for, M. Gustav is wanted for the murder of Madame D, and he goes, we never got the results of what, um... And you think I murdered her. Yeah, he's like, you never got the results back of what she died from, and you think I did it. And he kind of looks at him and just runs away. <laughs> and that is where we get to chapter three. But you guys anything to mention on chapter two? Man, you're really blowing through these. I know. Well, I feel like if I don't try to hurry it up and let people free talk, we're going to be here for like an hour and 20 minutes. You skipped over the painting of the two lesbians he replaces it with, which I will tweet now from our Twitter account. Describe the painting, Pat. <laughs> it's, uh, it's explicit. Uh, it's two uh, elderly uh, women, naked, uh, hairy, and they are in the art of uh, pleasuring each other in love. It's tastefully so. done. <laughs> I don't know where you get the elderly part or the love part. <laughs> but. You don't think that's love, Josh? It could. It may or may not, <laughs> to be honest. But this is actually like a really great chapter because in the first chapter, I think things are kind of like a little more silly. But this is like where the plot thickens and this whole like mystery really starts to, to open up. I feel like from chapter two to the end, it's nonstop. Like in chapter one, you kind of get to know the characters. And in chapter two... I enjoy chapter one. It just... 
It's nonstop, very fast. We start with chapter three, checkpoint 19, criminal internment camp. Oh, this is a good one. This is a good one. Uh, Mr. Gustav is in jail. He's obviously not faring very well. It looks like he's, he's so polite. He's so polite about it. It looks like he's getting beat up every day. No, he had to beat up an inmate. Oh, which inmate was it? Pinky. Pinky. Yeah. Because he had to show him that he's not a... To show that he was like... Not to be messed with, but now then they became buddies. He is such a gentleman. This is where we see Zero explaining to um, the rest of the hotel staff. Explaining to the rest of the hotel staff where M- Mr. Gustav is and how he wants his uh, everything, all everybody's jobs kept up. Um, Zero also explains to Gustav like he's been framed by Serge. They kind of do a Shawshank where Mr. Gustav and his band of merry inmates, including Harvey Keitel, Harvey Keitel, plan to escape. Um, Zero also marries Agatha. They sneak tools in from Mendel's to, I guess, what, whittle their way out? To dig through the concrete. Right. Like hammers and knives. And, and this part of the next, I thought Pappy would be the saddest because he's a cat lover. Yeah. But while Kovacs <laughs> is describing to Dimitri that there's a there's a piece of the will missing, he tells him he wants to hire a PI just to put everything to bed. And Dimitri storms out saying no. And... <laughs> Willem well, Dafoe's character. They know that there's another. Right, they know there's another will, will, and they're trying to make sure it's like legit. Willem Dafoe, char- Willem Dafoe's character, Jopling, is holding Kovacs' cat, and in anger or just in pure spite, throws his kitty out the window to death. Oh, look! Pap, what was your reaction to that? Yeah, I forgot. This is my favorite part. <laughs> your favorite this part? What the fuck's part. wrong with you? <laughs> the that worst makes part. you a sociopath. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Because I knew Pappy would hate this part. Easy Mikey Dahmer over there. But I, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. At first I thought it was William Defoe's cat because like it's just chilling in his arms. But then he just chucks it out the window to exit the scene and it's pretty, pretty sad. Did you watch it with your cat chubs? <laughs> it wasn't that sad. There's yeah, no was character more development. how like the cat's just like spread out. On the concrete at the bottom. Comedy is one interpretation, <laughs> but I thought it was shocking. I thought it was shocking and, and disturbing. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of like Raw, like that level of just visual. Shut up. Horror. <laughs> Pap, you're the only one in this world that cares about cats. Well, Stevie, do you remember when you first said we're going to review this movie and you said uh, Jen's favorite comedy of all time? And I was like, what? It's a comedy? And I think it was around this time when I first watched the movie. The cat gets killed, and Jeff Goldblum like gets his fingers chopped off and killed pretty quickly after that. It's immediately right after that Willem Dafoe like chases him through the streets and in like the museum before he. Oh, which brings me to my second favorite part of the movie is when um, Jeff Goldblum is in the art museum and he gets his coat check coat check ticket <laughs> out, and it says cat, Persian, Persian cat, Persian cat, deceased. deceased. And then he claims his dead cat and takes it with him. <laughs> but it does get it does get pretty violent because I mean, fingers in the doorway is a pretty. I guess I didn't like to watch that scene. It was pretty violent. I think starting at that scene, especially during the first watch, I think there's a lot more tension maybe than a normal Wes Anderson movie. And I didn't think it was that much of a comedy because I was always kind of worried about the main characters. Again, really? that first watch. Yeah, the first time oh, I saw I this stuff. I thought it was definitely. hilarious. I'm not saying it's not funny. I'm just saying the first it's watch, there's Sandy more. Wexler funny. No, nothing's Sandy <laughs> Wexler funny. Why? No, let's move on. 
<laughs> so after the fingers go, Jeff Goldblum's character gets killed by Willem Dafoe, not his last victim. There is a outlandish prison escape with M. Gustav and his band of merry men. And they get out. They're carrying an obscenely long ladder. They're jumping, climbing, and crawling over and under beds. They whittle out a window as um, as other inmates sleep. Oh, they lose one of their guys. This is coming up. They drop a huge chain ladder. Like, you know that ladder they pull oh, out the yeah, window yeah, yeah. that just keeps going and going. Um, they slide through a steam vent. They come across guards playing poker and on their escape route, and they lose one of their men as well as all the guards. And then they eventually end up out of the tunnel. Did you guys like the prison escape as much as I did? I liked how it was so ridiculous. Just, I I mean, I know Josh didn't call, think this movie was like a comedy, but I thought it was just over the no, top no, no. hilarious. Okay, that whole point is missing. I'm saying the first time I watched this, <laughs> it was less funny because I was worried about main characters not knowing what would happen with them. Right. This time, this is my second viewing, a little more relaxed being able to take in more of those little nuanced comedy. So, gotcha. I don't want to be on record saying it's not a comedy anymore. At all. <laughs> uh, but to the prison escape scene, I think Harvey Keitel's cameo is my favorite cameo of the whole movie. Like, it's so awesome when he shows up and then he's just, like, running shit and it's just so fun to watch him chip away. Like you said, definitely a Shawshank-like escape. With the throat slitter. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's pretty funny how they have to go, like, there's a prison bedroom. It, it's very, like, cartoon, right? They like, Yeah, it's way over the top and super outlandish. There's parts where the, the motion is, like, sped up. So, like, the ladder is, like, going out mm. super fast. Kind of reminds you of, like, an old silent movie sped up. Kind of like you were saying. It is really sped up. Um, after they escape, uh, Zero arrives to meet Mr. Gustav. They talk for a bit. You kind of learn more about Zero's backstory, about how he's more of a displaced war refugee. How would you guys describe Gustav's and Zero's relationship? I think it's more father-son, but they keep calling each I other brothers. I think it's more father-son. What do you guys think? I see it more of like co-workers, like more of like a mentor-mentee yeah. relationship. It, it is pretty formal, too, because Zero... I mean, he's definitely Zero's or the employee of Mr. Gustav and taking orders from him. So they're not really seen as equals, actually, until that prison escape scene that you mentioned. Totally. The police and military catch up with Mr. Gustav and Zero. Um, they decided, pretty much tell them to turn themselves in. They decide to run. This is where we hit chapter four, which is the Society of the Cross Keys. Which, um, how would you guys describe the society of the Cross Keys? Is it just like a bunch of concierges that help each other out from time to time? It's a, like a very secret organization. He's not even supposed to talk about it. Uh, what's that? Uh, I think it's like 101 Dalmatians when the whole gang is trying to escape at the end. Yeah. And they, they use like a chain of dogs yeah. barking. That's kind of what it reminded me of. It's like... There's a secret pack among dogs that they'll help uh, each other escape bad situations. And then there's this secret society among uh, hotel concierges, comically. <laughs> that kind of does the same thing. Yeah, so. Bill Murray leading the society. And they each have like their own lobby boy that lets them know what's going on. They each have their own lobby boy. 
it takes about five to ten minutes to get through all this society of saying, ring me over to here, ring me to this, ring me to this person, I need this person, until until Bill Murray arrives in a car. Um, shortly after, we're back at Madame D's, or the deceased Madame D's house, where uh, Dimitri has discovered that Boy With Apple is gone and replaced by the very vulgar painting that Josh did not care for. But I did. Pappy. I, no, I loved it. I just think his interpretation <laughs> was wrong. <laughs> um, as along the way, um, it gets even more violent because Joplin beheads Serge's sister. I can't remember her name. But there's kind of a, I wouldn't call it a twist, but when I first saw it, I thought he got Agatha, didn't you guys? The girl with the club foot? Yeah, but when you see the newspaper and the headline says, girl found with missing head, you think it's going to be Agatha. Agatha. Yeah, because she had like sounds on her roof, and uh, he was looking at her picture as a PI earlier, talking about where she was and who she worked for. I thought he got Agatha, didn't you guys? Well, Dimitri ordered yes. that he yeah. go and like take care of it. Totally. Yeah, it was a red herring. It was a red herring. <laughs> You're supposed to think it's Agatha, and it's not, but it's still equally disturbing because they show a severed head in a western. It's a very violent. Violent one. It wasn't gory, though. It wasn't gory. It was just violent for a Wes Anderson movie. It was still kind of a jump scare, though. It was like right before like a major cutscene. Josh, that how break- scared were how scared were you? One to ten. Who me? From Missouri breaks to to how scared your family is to aliens. <laughs> how scared were you? <laughs> yeah. What is with this long family? <laughs> we're never gonna cover that mystery. But the movie continues on. Uh, Gustav and Zero are... I forget what town they're in. There's so many names I can't pronounce, and there's a lot of towns in this movie. But pretty much... it. How do I, they start off like on almost like a ski lift, and someone asks if he's Mr. Gustav, the Grand Budapest Hotel, yada yada. And then about 15 more people ask the same question until they end up in a church. And that actually leads up to my favorite scene, specific moment. And oh, that's when what is it? He, he, he's told to go to confession and he's like, I didn't do it. And he's like, no, like go back to the confession box, stupid. So he goes back there and it's Sergio and he starts off like, you know, he's been waiting so many, so long. And as Jen was saying earlier, Gustav is like the most polite, classy, no matter what situation he is in, he'll always refer to someone as sir. But at this point, like halfway through the conversation with Sergio, he just completely loses his <laughs> shit. <laughs> Drops several f bombs about like, just tell me what's going on. Stop what the f is going on. Yeah, I love that part. It broke a lot of tension, and you finally see that character's breaking point. I thought it was great. And that's where we dis- Serge tells us that there was a second will, just in case uh, Madame D was ever murdered, she would leave everything to Monsieur Gustave. Uh, actually, it's a, it's a second copy of a right, second like will. second copy of the second will. <laughs> That's the name of part five. That is the name of part five. Um, second copy of the second will. Joplin kills Serge. And then Gustav and Zero race down to... Actually, they race down a, race down a mountain, which I thought was a pretty comical moment, because I still have no idea how he shot it. Uh, they race down to get Joplin, um... Did you guys like that? Kind of the ski... How he shot it. Yeah, what do you mean he had no idea how he shot it? I have no idea. I, I have no idea how he shot it. Like the wide shots? Like when they're... 
I, I don't know. It's kind of hard to visualize. Over, over radio. radio. <laughs> what radio? Uh, they race down the mountain. Um, Mr. Gustav is hanging. Good edit. Good edit point. Is editing. Is <laughs> way to ruin it. <laughs> is hanging on the side of a cliff, reciting sonnets as he's been doing the whole movie. Um, Joplin's trying to stomp out the ice. Uh, this part was yeah, hilarious. Yeah, I love the sonnet he's reciting about the, what was it, the young Piper boy? Yeah, <laughs> everything's always, like, so <laughs> sexual and weird with, like, yeah. young boys and stuff. Like, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> he's reciting sonnets of the whole movie that are made up, and it's kind of a joke that no one wants to hear him. But as he's going through and the ice is breaking, Zero pushes Joplin off the cliff, and that's where we end Chapter 4 and get to our last part, just Chapter 5, which Josh mentioned earlier is the second copy of the second will. And this is where I thought kind of the, this is kind of where the nuttiest part of the movie happens. Uh, the ZZs, the zigzags have taken over the Grand Budapest Hotel. Owen Wilson is a new concierge as Major Chuck in his classic Texan accent. There is a good deal of suspense in this. Josh touched on this, how there is suspense where Dimitri is slowly following Agatha, who has the painting throughout the hotel. And this is where, I th- you know, there's loud organs playing in the background. There's close-ups of Dimitri having the sinister face. And I thought it was comedic when Agatha just decided to run instead of, like, him, like, kind of slowly catching up to her. She just decided to run. I laughed pretty hard at that part. This actually then leads into my favorite part of the whole movie, which is uh, Gustav and Zero sneak in, and then it basically starts a firefight across the two different sides of the hotel. Or people yes. are just like randomly shooting at the different sides. Yeah, people just g- go out of their rooms and grab a gun. <laughs> yes, my favorite part too. Who's shooting who? Yeah. He says, he says, "Wait, who's shooting who? Who's shooting who?" So funny. And Owen Wilson is doing his classic. Wow, wow, wow! Then he says, "Okay, everybody's under arrest." <laughs> and then they continue shooting. But um, yeah, there's like 20 people in that. Um, this is also where. Agatha was she trying to climb down? I don't really understand because there's a there's a screen there's a scream off screen and then all of a sudden she's just like right. hanging for her life. So I, I guess she was trying to climb down. That's what I thought. Uh, Zero, being the hero that he is, uh, tried to follow her where he was he was knocking on a door and backed up like he was going to charge through it. Where someone comedically opened it and he fell out the window next to Agatha. With Boy with Apple. With Boy with Apple. And this is where they see that um, the confidential second copy of the second will is behind uh, the painting of Boy with Apple. And this is kind of where the movie starts to end, where they explain that Mr. Gustav ends up rich. Um, Agatha and Zero's baby die. Was Did she die of the flu? Was that how I kind of described it? The sickness. An illness. A made-up sickness, yeah. A made-up sickness with a lot of made-up towns in it. The riding in the train, once again, this is where an older Zero describes that Monsieur Gustave was shot in a barley field by the the ZZ death squad. Um, And that's how Zero inherited everything. And this is something I didn't understand. Kind of they described his fortune. So he traded everything in to keep a hold of the hotel. Is that what it was? I think it was more... That he had achieved like a lot of financial success because they talk about him like they show those articles of like zero corners of the market or whatever. So I think that he had gotten even more rich and then sunk everything that he had left and they're just keeping that hotel open. 
just a hotel that was never going to turn Yeah, basically, profit. yeah. He's, like, basically paying. Right. Where he describes that he keeps the hotel for Agatha because they were happy there for a little while. And it's kind of that quote that they keep coming back through through the movie where every once in a while someone will show humanity in a world full of brutalness. That's I don't know what the actual quote is, but it's something along that. Yeah, I think that comes from the writings of uh, Stephen Zweig, which is what... Um, yeah, it was kind of like they were based off his writings. Um, I guess in his suicide note, he talked about how he didn't want to live in a Europe anymore, which was right around the time of World War II. Cheerful. And I think he was... in. In his writings, he was talking about just how about there, how there was no humanity left. Yeah, and that's kind of why Zero Zero keeps the hotel open. Yeah. Because to him, that's what that represented. And I really like in this chapter, too, uh, the use of color in those scenes that you talked about. Like, when Agatha is hanging off the thing, and she falls, and they both, they, do they both fall into the, what is it, like a cookie truck? The Mendel's truck. The Mendel's yeah, truck. Yeah, when they fall in the Mendel's, Mendel's truck. Yeah. Like, that's... In a scene, or in a movie full of like beautiful scenes and shots and color, that that's one of the most iconic that you see, and it's really pretty. But then, like three minutes later, you go from like that bright color, which is like his happy memory, to like his sad memory, which is on the train when Gustav gets shot, and the way that Anderson represents it, he has the first black and white shot. So like he's really like bending. I mean, the the way that he's done this the whole movie with like the animation that we talked about, but like now he's just like completely taking out the color to represent a memory. And I think that's kind of like what you were talking about, Josh, like, right. The more inception you get, like the more almost dreamlike it gets. Yeah. And the more idealistic, like the things that Gustav was really this guy that would, you know, after he escapes from prison, be talking to it, like, be applying perfume <laughs> such a gentleman you know it's just kind of more fantastical the further back you go and i think that's really good storytelling i also like the shot of um agatha on the carousel where it's just her face there's a bunch of like blurred bright colors that's amazing her. yeah that's a great shot i thought that was an awesome shot and it's just another use of really bright colors in this movie and uh the movie ends with a girl in the beginning um does she close the book well, she's reading the Grand Budapest Hotel, and that's how the movie Well, it's like happens. Inception, you get kicked out of all the dream stages, like, one at a time, and then you pop out. Right, and you're back to present day. <laughs> um, I guess we go around the table. Um, I guess we just talk about if you guys liked it or not, give it yes or no's. Pap? Yeah, so it's a yes uh, for me. I think this is, like, a perfect movie. Like, this is a 10 out of 10. Um, it's 2000, I was telling Stevie right before we started recording, like, 2014 was a really good year in movies with like Whiplash, Interstellar, this, Birdman winning the Oscar. But even like in a strong year in movies, this is by far my favorite. Um, it's also my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Because uh, I think his attention to detail is like so well represented here. And in every shot, like you can rewatch and see new things that you didn't see before. So the hardest of yeses, and this is a perfect movie for Pat. Uh, Mikey? Uh, yeah, I agree with everything Pap said. Um, I like the set design of this movie. Uh, it's crazy. Every every location that they're at, is it looks like a painting. The attention to detail in every shot is also pretty amazing. It's a funny story. I don't know if it's my favorite Wes Anderson movie, though. What is your but favorite? But you're, you're in it, though. That is true. I do start <laughs> How can it not movie. be your favorite? <laughs> He were one of the main stars, Mikey. Uh, I don't know. I like the Fantastic Mr. Fox. But... What? No way. It is a good movie. 
That's your Are that's you, your favorite. It's, it's not Grand Budapest. I don't know if it's my favorite, but I like it more than Grand Budapest. I think. Okay. Josh has a bone to pick. Get him, Josh. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this movie is a yes for me. Uh, I refuse to go after Mikey on something so petty. <laughs> but yeah, it's a huge yes. Pappy said a lot of cool things about it that are true. The symmetry it's played over and over. Like it doesn't get old. It, it just makes everything feel more grand and beautiful, which works especially well with this movie. My favorite Wes Anderson movie, I I always say is Darjeeling. So I'll just stick with that. But yeah, yes. All right, I'll go next. Um, this is a yes for me. I absolutely. I really love movies that have witty dialogue and are also violent, which this movie has plenty of. I love the sets. Um, really love the storing story aspect, the storytelling aspect of it as well. I'm with Josh. This is not my favorite Wes Anderson film. My favorite Wes Anderson film is The Darjeeling Limited. There we go. Really is. But um, is that better than Sandy, but, Sandy Wexler? Sandy Wexler is the baseline. <laughs> Ooh, that's a, that's a really <laughs> tough question. <laughs> Got a call back to it, man. <laughs> not as good as i mean it's better than sandy wexler um but yeah i'm really happy we did this movie wes anderson's one of my favorite directors of all time probably top five so yeah love this movie definite yes jen well it's like one of my favorite movies yes across the board yes across the board everything. oh yeah yes all caps yes all caps all righty um is that what is that five Five yes preserves. Preserved. This is a roller coaster of a ride trivia. You guys ready? Yes. The name Wes is short for Wesley. Earlier, a few episodes ago, we covered another Wesley. <laughs> Wesley Snipes in Demolition Man. Oh jeez. I'm I'm asking you boys worldwide, what is his grand total box office revenue? All right. Um, and actually, let's go, before we do that, can we just inform the audience what you wanted trivia to be today? Yeah, I'm still very angry about this <laughs> because no one in the podcast likes TV ideas or likes going out of their comfort zones. But one way to put the it. original, My the original right. one was supposed to be having members of our podcast doing an impression of Michael Caine. Um, explaining to a cashier at a fast food restaurant what they got wrong with his order. That is brilliant. I love that. You know, it's not hard to do a Michael Kine. You know, I am Michael Kine. Here's yes. what you got wrong. And Josh and Vince and Pap threw a fit. Whoa! Saying they were gonna they were gonna boycott the trivia, and I was like, okay. They're so uncultured. And so I had to scramble and find. Why is Jen like a distant echo from you right now? Just like chiming in. She's like his hype man. She's like four feet behind him, but she's like backing up everything he says. Like, get him! Get him! Yeah, he says I'm to be seen and not heard. <laughs> but that was supposed to be our first subjective spoilers. But now we're ended up with Wesley Snipes box office. So there you go. Right. And in the order, because people threw a fit, I'll go Josh, <laughs> Pap, oh. Pappy, and then money last. Worldwide with inflation. Closest to. Okay. I'll say... This is a tough one to go first on. Tough, yeah. 
total box office gross. Can we get a hint, like how many movies he's actually been in? Yeah, we'll do dom- we'll do domestic, and it's thirty one. Thirty one. Okay. Thirty one. We'll do thirty one. We'll do thirty one domestic. Thirty one movies. Thirty one movies. Domestic gross. Yep. Adjusted for inflation or no? Um, let me see. We just guess a number, man. Come on, dude. Yeah, it's it's adjusted lose anyway. It's adjusted. <laughs> hey, I'll say uh two hundred and eighty one million. Two hundred and eighty two million higher. That's such shit. Poor chicken. <laughs> Josh, shit. go go higher. Ah, dude, that's such horse shit. You guys are over. Okay, what? You're over a billion dollars off. You're going with two hundred. So Mikey <laughs> goes third. So do we get to reguess, or did you just like tell? Did you just tell Mikey? Yeah, Josh, Pappy, reguess. Oh my god, Josh and Pappy, reguess. Two billion dollars. Two billion dollars. One billion two hundred eighty-two million dollars. <laughs> One point two. Alrighty. Um, I'm gonna guess one point five minus what he owes in taxes to the U.S. government. So like <laughs> seven hundred fifty million. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. You guys ready for another another western? Because Josh won. Oh man. It's one point eight one eight billion. Are you serious? Oh. That's crazy. That's I feel. I feel so guilty closest. that Mikey threw no, no, away his 1. guess. 8. Josh got two. Mikey threw away his guess for a joke. Worth and, it. And it was awesome. <laughs> Pat, you want to run plugs? I can do the plugs. If you want to email us, it's yeah. podcastspoilers at gmail uh, Our website is the same thing: podcastspoilers dot uh, We have an Instagram. Uh, search for spoilers and you'll find us. We have a phone number. Uh, sometimes people call in and leave movie reviews, and you can do that. It's 903-776-4507, and that was the right number of digits. Uh, 903-SPOIL-07. Um, spoilers underscore pod is our Twitter. And you can find us on SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, iTunes, and Google. Did I miss anything? I think we're doing pretty good. Josh, what's it going to so, be? So, have you guys ever heard of the TV series Gunsmoke? I've watched over 100 episodes with your father. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've watched your dad watching Gunsmoke. <laughs> yeah, I, we don't watch Gunsmoke. We watch Jeff Long watching Gunsmoke. My favorite show. <laughs> Just to see the excitement in his face. Jeff watching Gunsmoke. Well, interestingly, <laughs> this movie has nothing to do with Gunsmoke or Westerns. <laughs> Aliens? I want to go with uh, Spike Jones movie adaptation um, from 2002. It's one of my favorite movies. It's with it Nick stars Cage. a Nicolas Cage. It's a Nicolas Cage vehicle. The Nicolas Cage match has begun. <laughs> that's an Inception type movie. There's a ton of layers in that movie, so that's an awesome one to spoil. Anyway, uh, wait, what's the movie? I didn't hear. It. I- Adaptation with Nick Cage <laughs> and Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper. But you can watch Gunsmoke too, Mikey. Extra credit. Thank you. 
How did we jump from Gunsmoke to Adaptation? I was just trying to wet your whistle that it was going to be something. Oh, I was yeah. so excited for another Western, but we're going with Adaptation. Oh, I forgot to mention Joshua Hensley is playing the song that's been going on for like 10 minutes, so we're trying to switch <laughs> up. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, that was spoilers. Math teacher Mark Math Paper.